0: Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. I hope you've been enjoying the study so far through Proverbs. I know I have. So much wisdom and practical application in this book. It is amazing. So let's jump into our text today, Proverbs chapter 24. In Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it says this, "...do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking." Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth at the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. Uh, a, a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we do not know this, does he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? For he, for will, and will he not render to each man according to his deeds? My son, eat honey because it is good and the honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect and your hope will not be cut off do not lie in wait O wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous do not plunder his resting place for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again but the wicked shall fall by calamity do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles lest the lord see it and be displeased and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him do not fret because of evildoers "...nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect of the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin those two can bring? These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, "'You are righteous,' Him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause, for you would uh, deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I went by the field of a lazy man, and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. Wow, there's an absolute ton in this chapter of Scripture, and and I mean, just incredible. And so we're going to start, though, in verse 10, and we're going to start with this principle. Do hard things. This is what it says in verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, this seems kind of obvious. It's kind of one of those, well, duh. You know, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You know, look, if trouble comes your way and you fall down, you weren't very strong, you couldn't endure, you couldn't do it. That's what this verse is saying. But there is a lot of truth that is being taught here. The first one is is that you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You know, so many people don't prepare for adversity. It's amazing to me in life, going around and seeing people and they have trials that come into their life. And sometimes you want to look at them and you want to be like, well, I understand it's a trial. I understand it's difficult, but like we could all see this 10 miles away. Why were you not preparing for this? Well, how did you not see this coming? What? Why? Why did you not prepare for this difficult thing? Prepare. Be prepared. Live your life with preparation. Look ahead, and and let me tell you this. I, I, I've said this a lot from the pulpit, and, and this is something that is important to say, and it's something that people I don't think really like hearing, but my goodness, it like, it is very important. You're going to go through trials. That's what it is. You're going to go through trials. You're going to have difficulty in life. Really, there's three places you can be in life because this is a sin cursed world. You can either be in the midst of a trial, just exiting a trial or about to enter a trial right? Those are kind of the three places you can be in life. We're constantly going through trials. That doesn't mean that there's not joy in life. That doesn't mean that there's not great blessings in life. That doesn't mean uh, that, that there's not times that, that are more difficult and times that are easier than others and things like that. But you need to live in the reality that you're going to go through trials because we live in a sin-cursed world, and this is difficult, and people are going to sin against you. You're going to sin, putting yourself into trials, and my goodness, just life in, time, in general gets difficult. So be prepared, be prepared. Don't be surprised every time you fall into a trial, because when you do that, what happens? You're going to faint in the day of adversity. And then what are we going to find out? Your strength wasn't small. Why? Because you weren't prepared for it. You're just skipping around, happy-go-lucky, not realizing that there's a trial coming. Like be ready for it. The second truth is here is do hard things. You know, hard is hard, it's not bad, and we do hard things every day, so get to work. Right? Hard is hard, it is not bad, we do hard things every day, so get to work. It's okay that adversity strikes. Work through it. We do difficult things every day. So do it. Dig deep. Rely on Jesus. Go to the grace of God. But understand, it's okay. Difficult is not bad. It's just difficult. Hard is just hard. It's not, it's not sinful. It's not bad necessarily. So do hard things, do difficult things, live a disciplined life. The second thing that I want us to see here is that we need to stand for life. In verses 11 and 12, it says this, "'Deliver those who are drawn toward death "'and hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. "'If you say, surely we did not know this, "'does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? "'He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? "'And will he not render to each man according to his deeds?' See, we need to look at these, the principles in this passage because this is really important. First of all, we are commanded to help those who are drawn towards death and those who are stumbling towards the slaughter. Now, I have to be honest, with that kind of imagery, there is one thing that comes to my mind above all other things, and that is abortion, right? Right? our culture goes and draws young women specifically towards death towards killing their children going and trying to draw them into that but then also it seems as that they just simply stumble towards that slaughter as a christian you have a duty to stand for the preborn do you realize that this is what the verse says again Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. You're to hold them back. You're to deliver them. You need to do something about what is happening because millions, tens of millions, in fact, upwards near 70 million babies have been murdered in our nation in the last 50 years. And this is a nation that was founded as a Christian nation. We, we somehow missed this verse. The church quit preaching this verse. We need to rediscover this verse and we need to stand up for those who are being delivered unto death. Now, many people will go and, and try ignorance as their plea, right? That's what verse 12 goes and says. You know, maybe you're going to say like, well, wait a minute here. I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, verse 12 goes and covers that. You, If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? See, God weighs the hearts. God always judges rightly. And you're going to be judged for how you stood in this life for those who have been drawn towards death and stumbling towards the slaughter? That's a scary thing to think about. That makes me tremble because God is a God who is worth fearing. He is a just God. Have I done enough in my life? Have I really stood in the way that I ought to for those who are being innocently murdered? it's a terrifying prospect. Verses 17 and 18 is where we find our next principle, though. And that is is that you need to, you should rejoice in victory. You need to rejoice in victory and don't rejoice in a fallen enemy. See, just the verses before this, it talks about how the righteous man falls down seven times and gets back up, but the wicked man, he goes and and, and he falls, and his destruction came from calamity. But in verses 17 and 18, it says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. See, we need to understand this as Christians. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. We don't stoop into the evil. We don't get down into the mire, into the muck. And so we don't rejoice when our enemies fall. We rejoice when we see the victory of God. And so we rejoice in the good things that are happening. We don't sit there and scoff at the people who have gone and fallen and things like that. But we go and we rejoice in the victory that God brings. See, we need to stay in the way of righteousness and keep our eyes on Jesus in this. And isn't this a difficult thing, a difficult thing to really get into? Because today's uh, day and age, today's world, it's really, really easy really easy to fall into the polarization trap right to become a scoffer to go into to forget that that we are to to not just merely hate sin but but we're to hate people, it tells us in Psalm 139, with a perfect hatred. And I know that sounds a little bit weird, but in Psalm 139, because most of what we've been taught is that it's wrong to hate people, but we're to hate people with a perfect hatred. And what is this perfect hatred? Well, the perfect hatred is, is that we hate the old man, right? We hate the flesh. We want to see that flesh and the old man killed and mortified and put upon the cross, because we want to see people born again. We want to see the new man. We want to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's why we don't rejoice when our enemy falls. We we don't rejoice when our enemy falls. We rejoice in the victory that God gives. And we understand that these are simultaneous things that are happening But we rejoice in the victory that God gives, and we make a call, a true call, for repentance to our enemies. There's fake calls to repentance. There are many fake calls to repentance that, that is just merely rejoicing that the enemy has fallen, and they'll go and tag uh, repent at the end or something like that just because they know that they're supposed to say it. But the reality of it is is that we're not supposed to act that way as Christians. Rather, we're to go and to reach out a true hand— that is going and calling for repentance and seeking the ministry of reconciliation. We want them to come into come into friendship with Jesus Christ, to be reconciled with God. That's what we want. Which of course requires true repentance. But we need to make sure that we have our priorities right as Christians that we're truly rejoicing in the victories that God gives. It's good and right to rejoice. You ought to do it, but rejoice in the right things. But ultimately, we shouldn't rejoice when our enemies fall. And it's interesting here because it says, lest the Lord see it and it displeases Him. We don't want to displease God. But then it also says this, and he turned away his wrath from him. Why is that a big deal? Well, it's because when God is going and pouring out his wrath or something that he's doing, it's one of two things. One, it's that he's justly punishing them. Or two, it is a chastening from him, and he is desperately calling them to come back to him or to come to him for the first time, and so that they might turn from their sin and come to Jesus Christ. We don't want to get in the way of that of either one of those things. We want to stand for what is right and continue to rejoice in the victories that God gives. Well, thank you for listening today and remember Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So that